Loving Father in heaven, we come before thy throne of grace this morning. And we thank thee for your life-giving word. We thank thee for the word that has been preserved for thousands of years in two different covenants. And your life-giving word is sure today as it was when it was written. Father, we pray that everyone here this morning would take heed to this life-giving word. We thank you for your grace and mercy and pray that you would use this vessel of clay for your glory, that the glory be yours and none else. We pray and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I have... um, With the Lord's help, before me, the book of Revelation, chapter 20. The book of Revelation of John, of Christ to John, chapter 20. I'd like to start reading at verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years, and cast him into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more, till a thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that he must be loosed a little season. And I saw the thrones, and they that sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them, And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God, and which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until a thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such the second death hath no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, together, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. And fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and the brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. And I want to pay attention especially to the last few verses. And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. 
And the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it. And death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. And they were judged, every man, according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let us kneel down and worship. O Lord our God, what a terrible God that does these things. What a just and holy God, and yet that can be so merciful in Christ Jesus, because justice has been made at the cross. And now it's for us to proclaim that whosoever will may come and choose. Choose life that is being offered, life eternal, O Lord, who will accept? Who will choose while faith is needed, O Lord? But when faith becomes sight and sees those things, how terrible it is going to be for those that have refused to believe those things that are declared, that have rejected the witness that has been impressed upon them. The truth, O Lord, that they have seen and yet rejected. O Lord, and what a joy it will be, those that now tremble with fear and to work out their soul salvation with fear and trembling, what a joy it will be when faith becomes sight on that day. O Lord, thy mercy is so abundantly declared in thy holy word and offered freely and out of a great love and compassion, very long-suffering with every one of us, dear Father, even those that have made a covenant, O Lord, and yet thou dost perfect them patiently, O Lord, though they stumble, though they fail at times, yet turn and repent unto thee, and thou art merciful. Great is thy faithfulness toward them that wait on thee, O Lord, And thy blessings are abundant, those that choose to seek the kingdom of God first and its righteousness, and thereafter live, want to live and follow the footsteps trod by our Savior. Dear Father, grant us strength unto the brother to speak thy word in truth and in simplicity, that he may go forth. Thy living word, which is our privilege to proclaim, but our great responsibility because everyone shall be judged by it, those that have rejected it, and those that have claimed the promises, O Lord, on that day when faith shall cease. O Father, we are mindful of those that cannot gather with us because of sickness. Visit them, uphold them, dear Father. And those that have chosen to stay away while they could be here, dear Father, prick their hearts, make them realize, O Lord, the danger that expose themselves, and that having, having <clears throat> not availed themselves of the blessings that are in store for those that come together, in some measure they have grown weaker, dear Father. And the devil 
goes about as a roaring lion seeking to devour even those that have escaped his clutches. O oh Lord, may we realize that we are in enemy territory, that we are strangers and pilgrims here, O oh Lord, and cannot let down our guard, that we may walk circumspectly, O oh Lord, carefully, O oh Lord, and as it is, we are told to us, O oh Lord, to walk in the truth, because thus we will be saved, and by our example, help others as well. We thank thee for the great privilege of being able to gather here quietly in this place, thy word of truth before us, and now we pray, O Lord, that thou minister the same to thy servant and to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The book of Revelation is not a book that is meant to hide anything from our eyes, from our spiritual minds. It's not a book that is really meant to be mysterious. While certain things are portrayed with um, a lot of imagery, that imagery maybe is not the most important thing that we need to understand on how it's going to happen or what it means and what all these bowls and vials and horses and so forth exactly mean. We have a, a picture of what's going to happen, but we don't have to explain every single detail of Revelation to understand what the culmination of history will be. And more, more so, where I stand, where I fit in, in that great portrait on the great day of the Lord. I mentioned this once before, about the janitor that was in the basketball court after school and how he was reading his Bible and two young college students that were pretty smart, intelligent, see him there and they had just come out of seminary class and they went up to him and asked him, what are you reading? He said, I'm reading Revelation. Oh, we just, we just got out of that class. And uh, they wanted to see how much they could teach him. So, so what do you understand about the book of Revelation? And the old, young, or the old janitor, should I say, said, God's going to win. God's going to win. God won at the cross. It was finished at the cross. All the rest is commentary. What we see in the book of Revelation chapter 20 is that final culmination when the enemy of God, Satan himself, Satan himself will be bound 
for a thousand years in the bottomless pit. And the Apostle Peter talks about it in his epistle where he talks about those that were reserved in chains in utter darkness in a place, in the Greek it says Tartaros. And in Greek mythology that Tartaros was was the place of the deepest hell. He will be chained a thousand years. And after that thousand years he will be loosed. And then John sees in this vision thrones and they that sat upon them and judgment was given unto them. And I saw saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus and for the word of God and which had not worshipped the beast neither his image neither had received his mark upon their foreheads or in their hands and they lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. I'm not going to dwell on this a lot because I want to get down to verses 11 to 15. But what it's saying is that discipleship and following Christ has a cost associated with it. And with these believers here, it cost them their heads. They were beheaded for the name of Christ. They were so committed to the Lord they loved that they were willing to stick their necks out for Jesus Christ. And they were victorious. And they didn't give in to world powers. They didn't give in to the mark of the beast. Says the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years was finished. This is the first resurrection. There's going to be two resurrections. This is the first resurrection. And I'm not going to go into the debate between is it a spiritual, is it a physical. This is the first resurrection. That's all we have to understand. There is two resurrections. This is the first. Blessed is he that has part in the first resurrection. On such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. There's going to be a reward for the faithful of God that did not deny him. That lived according to the Spirit of God and served him faithfully to the very bitter end. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison and shall go out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog together, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. And they went up on the breadth of the earth encompassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city Jerusalem and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them and the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and the brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and they shall be tormented day and night forever and ever. God is going to win. Now there's some confusion here at least on the surface it may seem, 
where it says, verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. This is the final death. When you see the word hell in the Bible, in the Old Testament it's Sheol, and in the New Testament Greek it's Hades. Most of, most of the time. And they both mean the same thing. Hades in the New Testament was the Greek understanding of the abode of the dead, where the dead went. And that's what it meant to the New Testament Christian. When you die, you go to a place. It's an interim place. We don't know where that is. It's not necessarily down there. But it's a place where you will await your judgment. And I will await my judgment. It's a holding place. You can't change whatever has happened in your life. The proverb says that as the tree falls, so shall it lie. You can't change it once it's cut down. And it's an interim place. There is a place the Bible calls paradise. And Jesus um, mentioned that. And the thief on the cross, I believe, mentioned that. He said, Lord, remember me when you enter into your paradise. And he says, today I say unto you, you shall be with me in paradise. In your kingdom, he said. And Jesus said, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. There is a place also for those that have died in Christ and for those that have not died in Christ or died without Christ. There's a different place. But for the Christian, for the Christian, when one dies, it's as almost, and he died in Christ, it's as good as if he were in heaven. Second Corinthians 5 says, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Yet there will be a resurrection. Yet there will be a bodily resurrection. And it says in Romans 8 that we, all of humanity, is groaning. And especially those that are his are groaning to witness the adoption of sons. And what was the adoption of sons? He says, to wit. The redemption of our bodies. There will be a final stage of salvation for the believer. And this is where many people go wrong. Many people go wrong and they say, well, uh, we, I've been, I believe in Jesus Christ. I have the justifying faith of Jesus. And I'm saved. But the Bible talks about three stages, at least, of salvation. 
It talks about the salvation from the penalty of sin. Where you have been justified. Where you have confessed Jesus Christ. Where you have repented of your sin. Where you have believed in the shed blood of the Savior for the atonement for your sin. And in believing that, the Bible says you are justified. Romans 5.1 But then there's another, there's another part of salvation, and that is being, having power over, the, over sin. It's a salvation from the power of sin, not just the penalty of sin, but the power of sin. Those that have been saved by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Holy Spirit, the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, have received power from on high to say no to sin. Romans 6, the next chapter says, Therefore sin shall have no more dominion over you. You have power over sin. And we are constantly being made conformed to the image of Jesus Christ through this process of the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. And the sanctification comes through his word. It comes through the Holy Spirit himself. Through God's chastening of us. Through God's correction of us. And through our spiritual growth with all the resources God has given to us. But then there's a third element of salvation. It's the ultimate salvation. It's a salvation, as it says, to wit the redemption of our body. That we will now not only be justified, not only be empowered, not only will we have freedom from the penalty, not only freedom from, from the power of sin, but we will have freedom from the presence of sin. Where we will once and for all be removed from this sinful earth into the glorious presence of God. Romans 8 says, and in the, process of this in the process of this sanctification, Romans 8 says that we are saved by hope. I thought we were saved by faith. I thought we were saved by grace. We're saved by hope. This expectation that all the trials that I'm going through, that all the difficulties that I'm going through, that all my faults and failures and sins that I experience... That through it all, God is perfecting me. Is God is preserving me. God is keeping me with his power, the scripture says. If I choose to obey. If I choose to submit to his sovereign will. And when that happens, the Bible says we're glorified. Let me read oh, the book of Romans. And this is the message I believe that the Apostle Paul is really trying to give to the, to the Romans at that time. In Romans chapter 8, it says, And we know, verse 28, that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose, for whom he did foreknow, 
he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. He didn't predestinate to save him. Predestination comes after salvation. You are predestinated once you are in Christ. That's very clear in the scripture. You are in Christ, and when you are in Christ, God has a plan for you. God has a purpose for you. God has a path that he wants you to take. And on that path, there is suffering, there's chastening, there's a confirmation to the image of Jesus Christ. That he might be the firstborn, that is, Christ might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he called, and whom he called, them he justified, and whom he justified, he glorified. There are these three steps of salvation here. Initial salvation, continual salvation, in the sense that God gives you power to overcome sin in your life and to fight the enemy of your soul while you're upon this earth doing his will. Jesus said, and those, when he talked about the the, the last times in Matthew chapter 24, I think it was, he says, and they that endure until the end, what? Shall be saved. Shall, future, be saved. Whom he did predestinate, whom he called, who also, whom he called, he justified, and whom he justified, he glorified. So we see that we have, at the culmination of time, there are those that are going to be in one resurrection, and those that are going to be in another resurrection. Which resurrection are you going to be in? John, the same John, the apostle that wrote the book of Revelation through the Holy Spirit's inspiration, says this. Chapter 5 of his Gospel Verily, verse 25, Verily, verily, I say unto you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall hear the voice of the Son of God and they that hear shall live. For as the Father hath life in himself, so hath he given to the Son to have life in himself and hath given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the Son of Man. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the graves shall hear his voice and shall come forth. They that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. Are these the two resurrections? You, you don't get a lot of good um, estimation of time in the book of Revelation because things are happening, things are being sometimes done in retrospect. But one thing is for sure what Jesus said, that there is going to be a resurrection 
a type of resurrection where those that have done good to the resurrection of life and those that have done bad to the resurrection of damnation. Why is this so important? It's so important because it seemed when, for example, when Felix, when Felix refused to hear, as he was listening to the Apostle Paul, when he was being taken to, uh, to, to Rome for his final judgment, he had a couple of uh, hearings, one with Felix and one with Agrippa. And with the, with the hearing with Felix... It says in in chapter 24 of Acts, verse 25, And he, Paul, reasoned of righteousness, temperance, or control, self-control, and judgment to come. Felix trembled and answered, Go away. It's, It's not a convenient time for me. I'll call you. You know, when you see so many things going on in this world, so many heinous acts being committed, even yesterday when they have Toronto as the world centre for World Pride Day, where it's not only now being asked for, for equivalency, but being pushed to the forefront and in your face, the, the corruption and the perversion that is greater perhaps than Sodom and Gomorrah. You think to Revelation 22 and say, Oh Lord Jesus, come. Come Lord Jesus. But then you think about your loved ones. The ones that have not yet made that covenant with the Lord Jesus. You say, oh Lord, wait, please. I have sons and daughters. I have siblings. But you know that one day in God's perfect timing, in God's perfect plan, God will vindicate not only his holy and righteous name, but he will destroy sin once and for all. Sin will be removed. It will be cast into the lake of fire. And that lake of fire is that hell that Jesus spoke about when he talked about Gehenna fire. He said, don't fear man who can kill the body and then afterwards has no power over it. But fear him who not only after he kills a body can then throw both body and soul into Gehenna fire. That's the second death. That's the lake of fire. And that's from which there is no escape. There's not going to be a morning after. My dear friend, outside of Jesus Christ, you've been given the word of God. It's here. It's an open book exam. It's an open book exam. You know what's going to be on the test. You know what Christ is going to require of you. You have the answer being preached to you Sunday in and Sunday out and some that come Wednesdays. You have the answer there. 
You know why there's going to be weeping and gnashing of teeth? Because you knew. Oh, I had it. I could have had it. You knew and you refused. Are you going to be like Felix that says, go your way? I, got, I still got a few things I need to do. I love the analogy that Brother Elman gave once when he said, huh, I've got to go back to my Nintendo and chips. That's what it is. That's what it all boils down to. When you give up the glorious kingdom and being in the presence of Jesus Christ for some trash here on this earth, which is here today, gone tomorrow, which, which only sends you down the spiral of misery and death. And you know what the biggest thing about the, the second death is? It's not because... Uh, it's going to be terribly burning and hot. There's something worse than that. Where you'll be separated from all that is glorious, from all that is love, from all that is truth, for all that is good, for all that is honest. Forever and ever and ever and ever. And you'll be the most loneliest person for the next infinity. People mock at that. People laugh at that. They say, oh, I'm going to have a party with my friends. There'll be no such thing. It's a lie. You know it. In the book of uh, Peter, Second Peter <clears throat> chapter 3, Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last days scoffers, walking after their own lust, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of creation. Nothing's happening. Look at blue sky today. Toronto's getting bigger. There's more stuff coming out on, on, from Mac and uh, Apple. All the games. Oh, there's Olympic Games coming up soon. I've got all this coming up. I've got all this thing to look forward to. Nothing's changed. Peter says, for this they are willingly, willingly ignorant of. Willingly. You can't claim ignorance. You've heard the word. Willingly ignorant of. That by the word of God the heavens were of old and the earth standing out of the water and in the water whereby the world that then was being overflowed with water perished. But the heavens and the earth which are now by the same word are kept in store reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and the perdition of ungodly men. He says, Beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing that with the Lord one day 
is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. Your time will pass. If you live that long, your time will pass. And then you have to come before God's judgment seat. God's judgment seat. Revelation chapter 20 says, And I saw a great white throne, and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was no place for them. Revelation chapter 6 says, And I beheld, when he had opened the sixth seal, and lo, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became as blood, and the stars of heaven fell unto the earth as even a fig tree casts her untimely figs when she is shaken of a mighty wind. And the heaven departed, and a scroll when it was rolled together, as a scroll it was rolled together, and every mountain and island were moved out of their places, and the kings of the earth, and the great men, the rich men, the chief captains, the bondmen, and every free man hid themselves in the dens and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and to the rocks, Fall on us, and hide us from the face of him that sits on the throne, and of the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath is come, And who shall be able to stand? You're going to be seeking a place. Those that are here, there could be any day now, those that are here are going to be seeking for cover from the great wrath of God and the wrath of the Lamb, and they won't be able to find it. In another place it says, And they shall seek death and shall not find it. You think you have problems now? You think you need to get over these little problems before you turn to Christ now? Dear ones, these words were penned 2,000 years ago. And back then, John had already thought that he was living in the last hour. Where do you think we are today? The Apostle Paul says, for our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. It's coming. But the more important thing if you know these things and you know you have to prepare for them, what is it that God is going to judge us for? And now I turn to the believers and to myself. 2 Corinthians 5 says this. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Wherefore we labor that whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we shall... We must, we must 
all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Now, many are saying, well, this is the judgment seat of Christ. And we know that those that are his won't come before this great white throne judgment. They're just going to come before the judgment seat of Christ. And they're just going to get rewarded for their works. Well, that's partly true. That's partly true of the entire answer. We will come before the judgment seat of Christ and everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. There's another scripture in Romans 14 that speaks about the judgment seat of Christ. And he's speaking about the concept or uh, topic of Christian liberty. How we as Christians interact with each other. That some Christians believe it's okay to eat this food. Some thinks it's not okay to eat that food. Some people believe that this is a special day for them. Others believe that this is a special day for them. Others think that you should not celebrate this day. While other people think you should not celebrate that day. And Paul, the apostle, says, why do you judge each other in these things, in meats, in things that will perish? Why do, you, why, do, why do you judge each other for? He says, don't you know that you all have a master that you will give account to? You will give account to your master. Each man will rise and fall to his own master. So don't be masters over each other. And in that context, he says, don't you know that we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ? Christians will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. And Paul very clearly in 2 Corinthians 5 says, we must all appear. There's no option here. You won't be able to hide anywhere. So knowing that, and knowing that it will be an open book exam. And if you go back to Second Peter 3, he's addressing believers. He said, brethren, knowing these things shall come to pass, what manner of men ought we to be? In other words, what kind of a Christian walk are we to have? And some of us may say, well, I, I kept myself away from a lot of sin. I didn't do this, I didn't do that, I didn't do this, I didn't do that. But I believe perhaps the biggest surprise is going to be is when Christ say, what did you do? What did you do? You go to the parable of the 
of the, the talents in Matthew 25. What was the, what was the response by Jesus here? Matthew 25. If you want, you can follow along. He gave the parable of the virgins, the ones that didn't prepare their lamps. They never trimmed their lamps. If you notice, that was in the first song that was sung, I believe. And then he gave the parable of the talents, that he gave talents, five, two in one. And how the one that had the five came back and gave uh, brought back five more with work, with investment. The other one that had two came back and brought two more. But the one that had the one talent did not bring back anything. In fact, he buried his talent. And when he came back, the, the master asked him, where is it? What I've given you? What have you brought back? And he said, oh, I, 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 I fear that you were a, a hard man. And, and I buried it. The master said, therefore, take the talent from him and give it unto him that hath ten talents. The one had the five and made five more. He's got ten now. Give it to him. For unto everyone that hath shall be given, and he shall have abundance. For him that hath not shall be taken away, and he that which, even that which he hath. And cast ye the unprofitable servant. Unprofitable. into outer darkness, and there shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You say, well, I didn't do any sin. Well, the fact that you refused to work with the talent that God gave you is sin enough. In other words, did you love God enough? Did you love God enough that you were willing to take what he had given you and asked you, based upon his sacrifice for you and said, this is what I've done for you. Can you now go and share what you have with others? You know what his sin was? He said, no. I will not share what you gave me with others. Jesus who died who, who gave his body a living sacrifice. I've given you my everything. Now all I'm asking you to do is take this little talent that I've given you and share it with others. And that could come in all kinds of forms. Whether it is you give them monetary aid, whether you give them uh, physical aid, whether you give them counsel, whether you show care and compassion, whether you pray for them. So many forms. He that knows how to do good and does not do it, James says, to him, it is sin. And then Jesus gave the examples. For I was in hunger, and you gave me meat. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you took me in. Naked, and you clothed me. Sick, and visited me. In prison, you came unto me. Then shall the righteous answer him, saying, Lord... When saw we thee a hungered and fed thee thirsty and gave thee drink? When saw we you as a stranger, naked and clothed thee? 
But when saw you in prison and came to you? And the king shall answer them and say, Verily I say unto you, Inasmuch as ye have done it unto the one of the least of these my brethren, <coughs> you've done it unto me. Why, why didn't it come to their mind that they did this? It was second nature to them. It was their divine nature. That's all they were, were, were born and recreated to do. You don't go to a, a robin and say, look at that robin, she's going everywhere, making a nest, she's going, taking worms and giving to the, to, to the, to the bird, and her baby bird and so forth. And, 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 and you think she's aware what she's, oh, I'm, I'm being pleasing to my creator. It's her nature. She was, she was created for that purpose. And it should not be the first thing on our minds when we do something, oh, I think God wants me to do this because I'm going to get a reward in heaven. When someone's bleeding on the road, that's not, you run, you want to save that life. Regardless of what it's going to cost you, regardless if it's going to cost your life, and, and you see some of these images on, on the internet, so these good deeds of, 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 of people, citizens that go out and save animals or save people, not even thinking what's going to happen to them, their main cause is to, their focus is to save that suffering soul. Because it's their nature. That's proof to us. Are we part of the divine nature? Or do we have a carnal nature? Or do we only think what's in it for us? You know, what, I, I've got to save myself. I've got to be careful. If I, give, if I give anything to the church, I won't have some for myself. If I spend time in, in doing things at church, I won't have st stuff, time to do the things that I want to do. I believe that that's going to be probably one, one of the first things that we will be surprised about. If we could, if we could only now, in our mind's eye, go back through our lives as believers and start recording from the day we found salvation with Jesus Christ when we were justified and we start rewinding and seeing where I was, what I did, how I lived, what my attitude was and we could save that on a DVD. What I said in secret the evil things that I spoke about people. My ill will to my neighbor. My selfishness. Or the times that I uh, cheated the government on taxes. Or the time that I lied about somebody. Or the time that I manipulated someone for my benefit. Or the time that I refused to talk to a brother or a sister because of my pride. 
put that all on a DVD and rewind it, go through it, and analyze it. You know what? You have an open book exam. I have an open book exam. And what about what happens? You know, a verse come to me so clearly this past week when I look at uh, Romans chapter 1. This, this, this book in Romans gives you the path of, of, of a unconverted all the way through to conversion. You know, the Roman road. How God created the worlds and how uh, his creation refused to, to give thanks to him and how they perverted themselves through all kinds of sin and, and imaginations. And at the end it says, <coughs> excuse me, it says, who knowing, who knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, <coughs> not only do the same, but have pleasure in them that do them. I'm going to ask you a question. You may come to the first three quarters of that verse or two thirds of that verse say, well, I don't do those things anymore. I've stopped doing them. Have you? You don't commit fornication. You don't go around doing evil things. But do you have pleasure in them? Do you have pleasure in them? Why not? Do you watch movies that have scenes of such things knowing that they are there? Knowing. I try to skip them. I turn my face. Or do you? So you don't do them, but you have pleasure in them. How many, and I'm going to be very frank, at camp we had a, we had a, a forum where a fairly significant percentage of believers said they had problem with pornography. So Doug, don't say that in front of the unconverted. What did Paul say in 1 Corinthians 6 and 5? What did he say in Galatians 5? God doesn't hide anything. God doesn't condone that when he says it. What he's saying is that is heinous, that is sinful. And whether you watch somebody on TV doing that or in the movies doing that or whether you take part in that. Jesus said, he that looks upon a woman to lust after her has already committed adultery in his heart. You know, sometimes we, we go through life thinking that because I can't see God, he can't see me. I once studied a definition of godliness and one definition was godliness is the, is the state of mind of having 
God always in the forefront of your mind. Now, if, if that's the case, would we do what we maybe have done? Hebrews chapter 4. Remember, he's speaking in Hebrews of the believers that embarked onto the road to Christ. They accepted Christ, and now they were turning back to Egypt. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and the joints and the marrow and the discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart, even the things that you, your motives behind what you do. Even the reason you do them. Even if you're doing things, but you're doing it to get the praise of men. Jesus said in Matthew 6, Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. When you do it for the praise of man, you've got your reward. You don't get one in heaven. The motives. And we may put, we may put uh, a blanket over the eyes of men, but God sees Neither is there anything, any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things, all things are naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. Now if we can see in our mind's eye, if it's in the foreground of our mind all the time, wherever I go, I want to please God, I want to do his will, and I know he sees everything. I think we'll have a second think about what we do, what we say, where we go, what kind of a witness we need to be for God. May the Lord add far more than his weak servant could. And I pray this for myself first and to us all. Amen. Two hundred and eighty-eight all verses.
Heavenly Father, we bow before Thee in this day, each and every one of us, humbled by Thy powerful Word. Lord, Thy Word brings before us accounts of things that have happened in the past, so that we may learn from them. Thy Word brings before us accounts of how to have salvation. Thy word also brings before us a light that has shined upon our hearts, the light of Jesus Christ. And our eyes are opened by thy word. How much we need to change, each and every one of us. Lord, For those who have found Thee as their personal Lord and Savior, You have shown us today that we need to examine ourselves. Are we ready? Is our oil, is the lamp in our oil, is it full? Have we buried that talent that You have given us For Lord, you have shown us that faith, that salvation is given by hope. But Lord, that hope that is seen, you say in Romans that Lord, that hope that is seen is to nothing. For it is not the hope of things we see, but as the hope of things we believe in thee, in our hearts. And with that hope, we have faith in thee. And with that hope, we live our lives in godliness, as we have heard today. For if we are honest with ourselves, each and every one of us can say we have failed. But Lord, you have given us salvation over death, over sin. But we are to embrace thy word, and we are to embrace the spirit, and we are to live our lives each and every day as unto thee. Lord, you have given us a godly fear not to scare us away, but to open our eyes. For we are a type of people that live in comfort, that like to live in comfort. And we, we slack in the things that we do. But you have shown us, Lord, in thy message that, thou art, that there is no slackness in thy promise the promise of salvation, the promise of hell, the promise of heaven, the promise of things to come. And that is why the message today has shown us that we need to live in godliness. Lord, for those who haven't found thee, Lord, there is fear, fear of death, Fear of what might come for things not embraced, for not embracing the Heavenly Father. Are we like Felix where it is not time right now? I have other things to do. Are we too busy for the Heavenly Father? Heavenly Father, we have great joy 
that you still call us and that salvation is still here, that the door of grace has not been closed yet. We have hope and faith in thee that thou dost love us so much that thou art willing to show us where we need to adjust ourselves, fix ourselves, willing to show how we can better ourselves so that we may come closer to thee. Heavenly Father, we pray throughout this week and throughout our lives, we may always examine not just on how we are this week or last week, but we may examine our lives and see are we right with the Lord? Where does our heart stand? If thou were to come this day, how would you see us? Would we be ready? Lord, we are grateful and thankful that we have been able to open our minds, open our spirit, and to allow thy word to be pressed upon our hearts. We thank thee, Lord, for being here with us and for always providing what you see fit in our lives. For we live our lives here upon this earth for thy thy grace and for the salvation you have given to us by dying upon the cross. We pray, Lord, that when the day is that we are called, that that thou mayst look at us and say, thy faithful servant, enter into the kingdom of heaven. We thank thee, Lord, and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Find the concluding hymn, please. Hymn number 18. I'd like to conclude this service just by reading from verse 17 to the end of the last chapter of the Bible, chapter 22 of Revelation. And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come. And whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. For I testify unto every man that heareth the words of the prophecy of this book, 
If any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly, even so, amen, even so come Lord Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen. This concludes our service.